Welcome to Episode 6 of Initial Legal Offering. Washing more money than your corner laundromat, more unwelcome than the presidential emergency alert, it's Initial Legal Offering, the latest in crypto news and regulation. This week on the podcast, we follow the Wall Street Journal's investigation into the proceeds of the WannaCry ransomware. We'll also investigate the legal ramifications of SIA's recently announced intention to change its proof-of-work algorithm. Finally, we'll discuss the state-of-the-art over-the-counter market and how institutional investors are still buying in. Our panelists this week will face off over Populous, the peer-to-peer invoice financing token for small and medium-sized businesses. Joining us this week as we record from Satoshi's Yellow Submarine in the depths of the Pacific Ocean, Let's welcome cryptocurrency's most unknown and most underappreciated panel. I'm Laura Beth, joining you guys uh, today, and happy to be here. Yeah, you may be in the yellow submarine, being uh, being remote, (laughs) beaming straight to space. I'm from an I'm recording from a seriously undisclosed location. Craig Wright's submarine. (laughs) Glad to be here. It's going to be, I think, an exciting podcast again. Looking forward to uh, having some conversation with you guys and doing yeah, some arguing over this populist coin. Got some good articles on this week. Some some interesting developments in the crypto space. How are you doing over there, Sebi? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excited to be here as well. So it looks like it's time for the news. Let's do it, Sebi. What's up first? Yeah. So first up, uh, we have the Wall Street Journal's investigation uh, into dark money and uh, specifically the proceeds from the ransomware known as WannaCry, uh, which I believe was active uh, sometime last year. And so what they were trying to do is track this money. Uh, This came in uh, basically, the malware took over people's computers, uh, so encrypted the, their data, and held it hostage and said they could only decrypt it by paying so many bitcoins uh, to to their address. The WannaCry ransomware, was that part of the like NSA hack? Is that where they got that software from? No, no. Um, they believe WannaCry was developed by uh, some hackers in North Korea, and uh, so that's where that one hmm. came from. Uh, I mean, yeah, whether they were using similar tools as to... I don't think the NSA is developing ransomware. Um, right. <laughs> whether they used some that's of... That's exactly what the NSA would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they that's worth Disavow knowing. any knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's certainly possible that they... Do you, do you work for the NSA? I can neither confirm nor deny. That's exactly what an NSA guy would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've been trained well, sir. <laughs> Independent contractor, huh? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's certainly possible that they used uh, some of the techniques that the that were released yeah. as part of that NSA hack to deliver the malware. Um, so I, how big a how big a deal was this this hack? I mean, I think we need to get some context because we we're talking about dark money um, and this ransomware. I mean, this is this is not just like a, a couple Bitcoin. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is tens of millions of dollars uh, we're talking about that uh, WannaCry brought in. And yeah, like I said, they they encrypted people's data, told them to decrypt it. If you want it back, uh, then you have to send these bitcoins and we'll send you the decryption key. So from there, uh, the Wall Street Journal wanted to look at where that uh, those bitcoins went to. And they specifically looked at a batch that ended up on ShapeShift which is uh, an exchange I'm sure you all know. That's Voorhees. Yeah, Eric Voorhees. Yeah. Uh, and so they uh, they looked at the Bitcoin coming from this address to Shapeshift 
and then as it was being converted into Monero, and from that point, uh, the money kind of goes dark. It's we don't really know what happens. Uh, what happened to it after that? Shapeshift is an instantaneous exchange, right? You change. Yeah, yeah. Various so cryptos to other. They cryptos. Uh, they are quick to say they do not deal in fiat currencies. It's strictly crypto, crypto to crypto. crypto. Yeah. So it, theoretically, if you wanted to hide your transactions, you would take them there and switch it to Monero. Well, yeah, it, this all happened uh, over uh, a galaxy several... galaxy far, far away. Yes, in a galaxy far, <laughs> far away. Uh, no, several months ago. And uh, Shapeshift has since required that all its users provide identification. So they know who their customers yeah. are now. So this forced at, KYC now, yeah. Shapeshift, yeah. 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 When this was happening, uh, going on, when this Bitcoin was being converted to Monero, they did not have that policy in place. So there's no way to know who uh, initiated those trades. This brings up so many different topics of conversation, both in Bitcoin and crypto generally. Like, for example, my first gut reaction is that a lot of people would be upset that Bitcoin is not fungible in the sense that you could have bad Bitcoin that people don't want because it's part of this ransomware. Right, it gets blacklisted. It gets blacklisted. But it would have been really easy for these large companies, and I think this is a separate issue, like Shapeshift, to start caring to track where these coins are coming from because all you need to know is where these hackers are asking for these bitcoins to be sent and they could right. literally say no we're not accepting tokens from those addresses yeah that's yeah. a little the, bit of effort that's the benefit of having a public ledger you can yep. track that uh they of course had the address public because they needed people to send them bitcoins and so you can track where all of them went until they get converted to, to monero. monero yeah yeah which so, that brings up a whole separate issue with privacy coins. Right. Uh, naturally, Shapeshift is not super enthused about yeah, this think, article. <laughs> yeah, I think the, they're, they're really upset by the looks of things. I think this is also part of the reasons why they started doing KYC. Yeah, um, uh, that's certainly certainly a possibility. Uh, so uh, Shapeshift uh, responded to this report uh, on their Medium page and basically said that the Wall Street Journal deceived them They about the nature of the article. They thought it was just going to be a general state of the market exchanges uh, article, not this looking at uh, these uh, funds that were being laundered. Yeah, so it's like classic they, gonzo journalism. They get in there. Basically, and... they, they pulled back the, the curtain. Yeah, for exactly. them for five yeah, they provided Opened the, kim the kimono. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something else, right? Oh. Definitely something. I'm telling you, you're not supposed to do that at those massage parlors. So. <laughs> oh and that's God. the last joke we make on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, it, it, I think it's pretty clear that um, that someone's upset at Wall Street Journal. At Shapeshift. At Shapeshift. Yeah. Uh, well, no, yeah. no. Shapeshift's upset at Wall Street with, Journal. Right. Yeah. With for, oh, yeah, yeah. For how they've been uh, not only misled them, but how they knew this was gone going and could have literally said something to Shapeshift to say, "Hey, you know, Eric, just you know, yeah. um, heads up. Don't 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 take it from this one address." That's the golden rule of journalism, though, is not to become involved in the story. It's just to sit around and observe. Now, granted, you know, illegal things are happening. They probably, if they knew about it, then yeah, they probably should have said yeah. something. But if it's from from a purely journalistic viewpoint, they did what they were supposed That's to do. Interesting just reported, just reported on what they saw. So I think that's really interesting insights. I hadn't looked at this from the journalistic point of view. They literally would have an obligation not to interfere with what they know is going on because they're trying to document what's happening. Right, right. But you can that's see Shakespeare's response there as... Hey, you guys 
Yeah, we you, we let you in. We kind of opened the door. You know, we were just being forthright and, and open with you guys and letting you see how things operated. We didn't expect you to come out and just throw us under the bus in this article. And it's a lengthy article, too. And also, you know, Wall Street Journal, that's a major publication. They've got some serious pull in the business yeah. world. So if anyone's looking for a good business idea, uh, I think that we could throw this out there. If you could start uh, documenting Bitcoin addresses, public ledger addresses that are part of um, the uh, – Bad blockchain, if you would allow me to use that term, and start selling those first, lists the bad to exchanges. Yeah, um, actually, there are companies that are doing it. Is this our ICO? This oh, damn it. did we just did <laughs> we just it? give away the farm here? We may did have. We just do it. <laughs> no, I think that's a that's an interesting idea because it would help a tremendous amount of people, and there's just a genuine lack of uh, of information that these exchanges are. As, de- as centralized as they are, they're still pretty decentralized and that there's just a lack of communication between the exchanges and having some blacklisted address, especially from hackers, could be helpful in the you know federal anti and state anti-money laundering uh, programs that, that maybe sell this, this data to the government. Maybe they want it. I, I feel like I saw something a couple months back about the government had posted job listings that they were looking for, like blockchain forensic analysts yeah. uh, or something along those lines. So I think they already... You are have... looking every podcast you mentioned looking at job postings. You're really looking for a job, Sevi. <laughs> he does that from for two hours in the morning. Yeah, two hours day. in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, you want to go for coffee? He's like, yeah, check out these jobs. <laughs> like, yeah, we should totally just mutiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah i have that same feeling every day um so let's move on to the next article here which is some other very interesting yet somewhat shady crypto um concerns that we have over sia or sia sia so actually interesting segue here last week this was my crazy crypto prediction was that sia was going places um and so just a brief like little history it, obviously listen to the episode from last week where i touched on this nice throwback um yeah <laughs> but so I, I think that the place that they're going to is uh, the federal courts probably what seems to uh, uh have been announced uh on sire's websites and then their medium page is that they will be uh resetting sire's proof of work algorithm to basically brick uh, Enosilicon and uh, Bitmain's ASICs that they that they've produced yeah. and been selling. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the li- a brief little history here on Sciacoin, you've got um, when they started, they had their own miners, their own mining company, Obelisk, and those were the miners that they wanted to use. No, they formed that. They formed that. Yeah. They formed that, and then so that's the miners that they wanted everybody to use. You know, buy our product, buy our bags, stay on board with us. Um, Enosilicon came out with some. Some miners that also some ASIC miners that also mine SIA coins, and then out of nowhere, no press releases, no no even mention that they were developing Bitmain jumped on the market with these ASICs specifically for SIA coins. Yeah, um, out of nowhere and just you know tried to hop on and they you know they big business they sold a lot of those miners and so only have, for SIA coin right yeah exactly. only, yeah it's a yeah, it's, it's an ASIC the, miner it's so a Blake two B algorithm yeah, to, to mm-hmm. my knowledge and, and my research, uh, and I mine a fair amount of SIA, just uh, full and fair disclosure, um, this is a big deal. And those SIA miners, there's not any other coin that mines with this Blake 2B algorithm. There are other coins that mine with other Blake algorithms, but just not the 2B variety. Um, but no, I think there's really a couple things that are worth noting. One, uh, to say that Bitmain came out of left field and like suddenly we've got this uh, product and it's going to mine, it's a pretty decent miner and it's powerful, is an excellent opportunity for the White House to take a lesson on not leaking 
uh, information. <laughs> Sayok just kept that under wraps and came out of nowhere with the information. They're a giant business. Uh, um, sorry, Bitmain, excuse Bitmain, me. Yeah. Uh, it's a giant company. And uh, frankly, it would be a good lesson for Trump's White House to learn on how not to leak information. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, the other thing that's really concerning about this is that this fork of Sire was uh, assured by the Sire developers and development team and the parent company that they weren't going to do this. Um, however, their statement and their release has basically said they're doing this to preserve the community, that ASICs from Bitmain and InnoSilico are uh, Silicon are ruining the Sire community, and that they're doing this to preserve the integrity of the coin. And it is horse crap. Yes, the the team and the foundation may have outlaid money to get Obelisk off the ground, but I think they've done nothing here but buy themselves a giant lawsuit. What do you guys think? Yeah, so especially with the uniqueness of the algorithm they use to mine, you're talking about literally rendering these machines worthless. I mean, you spent thousands of dollars on miners, and now they're literally thousands of dollars of paperweights. Yeah, I think the... I think the development of their own obelisk miners and the surprise announcement from Bitmain and then InnoSilicon releasing theirs as well probably had uh, a whole lot to do with this uh, for the simple fact that I remember seeing uh, things about obelisk miners like a year ago and uh, their launch date just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. It seems like they spent so much time trying to develop these machines and then Bitcoin or Bitmain just pulled the rug out from under them that they really felt like they had to make something of this investment. And being the third to market now, uh, it's hard to hard to claw back at that, especially against someone as large as Bitmain. Yeah. So uh, what what's really interesting about this article is that they talk about the way forward for Sire in this medium press release from the founder of Sire, and they talk about doing away with this monopoly that um, Bitmain and uh, InnoSilico have over, Silicon have over these ASIC miners. But, but every time they talk about it in the article, they keep talking about creating this obelisk monopoly. So yeah. it's yeah. like you're exchanging one evil for another. I mean, why not have three manufacturers? That's more decentralization. That's... yeah. It, it's that's the problem is they can't compete, so they're going to shut it down to avoid competition, which I, in my mind is uh, is going to create some massive problems for them. Yeah. I, I truly hope that they get sued and that people are discouraged from doing this in this industry. It is shady. If you don't like what Bitmain's doing, don't buy their products. Yeah, so the only other option there for owners of these Bitmain and InnoSilicon miners is to what, fork it for themselves? Yep. Yeah, that's either, a good opportunity for us here. Either come continue... Continue on the, the, the original chain and not follow the, the hard fork or develop a new coin completely that uses Blake 2B as well. Yeah, so much Sire to be classic. figured out. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly right. I, th- I bought that uh, domain last night, interestingly enough. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're looking at the proud Sire- owner of SireClassic.com. Sireetherium. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely think that this is some shady nonsense and this is just some ridiculous, unfair competition. And, yeah, I think uh, this is um, this is asking for some some antitrust litigation. The here. problem with antitrust litigation is that it's expensive. And uh, look, they they formed in the wrong country to avoid this kind of litigation. They're in Massachusetts. Um, I know for a fact that there are numerous very large organizations that are already looking to sue Sire. Um, the only hope is that this this these suits and these injunctions that are coming down can come down before they fork this coin. 
which uh, is looking like going to happen in the next version. It yeah, can happen at any time. It's important to note, too. Sai has pumped a little bit since this happened. Yeah. Oh, no. I think that there is value in it. That there's a reason why it's going to pump, right? They don't want Bitmain. They don't want all of this um, this hash power on there because it's just going to drive up the difficulty um, and it's going to increase scarcity. It's going to be harder to get these coins. Um, and I, I, I'm not exactly sure I know a lot more about Ethereum and, and Bitcoin's um, algorithms and how the mining operations and how the difficulties are recalculated. So I don't know a lot about sires uh, per se, but I can tell you that having fewer people mining will pump a coin. I mean, we've seen it happen over and over again. That's the very nature of a 51% attack. I mean, they, they're trying to avoid this, and that's what they're claiming, is that fewer miners is going to be better for the coin. They want They want their miners. Yeah. And uh, I think that's bad business. I think there may be some illegal activity taking place. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah know. at the end of the Allegedly. day, I think that people are going to be, you know, upset that they've got they've got paperweights for <laughs> miners. And whether it's, you know, illegal or not, I think people will look to to find out. You know what I mean? They'll yeah. they'll they'll test the case. Yeah, and so so much for decentralization, right? Yeah. yeah. One one person or one group of people can decide whether this thing forks or not. You know what? Uh, the the good news is it's coming to the holiday season. I've got a bunch of paperweights potentially that you guys are going to be getting for Christmas. <laughs> They're going to be in the shape of an old sire miner. <laughs> so just be on the lookout. Uh, I may have to borrow somebody to ship them to you. Uh, but either way, uh, I think this we is a good. We can cover them in red and green glitter. For the holidays, <laughs> that's not a the bad loud idea. home of worthless miners. Yep, doing nothing. Mm. Try hanging one of those from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you haven't seen my tree, man. It's legit. Okay, so uh, I think it's a good opportunity for us to shift into our final article. Yeah. So this one is about a report um, published by Bloomberg, recent report. So we've we've known that the big financial institutions they want a bite of the crypto pie, so to speak, and. You know, whether they come out and say it in the news or whether they've been quiet about it, we know that they're somehow getting their hands on stuff. And this report kind of brings that to the public eye. Um, what has been discovered is that, you know, hedge funds and, and institutional investors have been buying massive amounts of Bitcoin on the over-the-counter market. So not going to a, uh, not going to an exchange and You paying. didn't emphasize the word massive enough. Massive. You've got you to form your <laughs> Donald Trump finger sign for that. Massive. <laughs> and over-the-counter. Like you've never seen. Yeah. It's going to be huge. <laughs> like you've never seen. So, yeah. and, and they've and they figured this out by looking at blockchain public ledger trans- transactions. Yes. yes. Yeah. So these, and they've been over-the-counter, so they're buying from single, you know, not, they're not buying, they're not going to Coinbase and saying, here's, hundred million dollars i want to buy bitcoin they're doing this from other people yeah um or and, from bitcoin over the counter oh excuse me or from coinbase over the counter yeah so uh and, and i don't mean to cut you off man um i'm gonna let you have your say here in a minute but mm-hmm. i'm gonna um, let you finish i'm gonna let you finish um <laughs> but uh coinbase does have an over-the-counter um department i guess where you can buy coins directly from them um, through and, and but it's got to be over a certain level. I think it's five million, and a lot of exchanges do the same thing. It's okay. pretty common. Okay. So, the reason that you're seeing this happen or that they're keeping it from the public is number one, we have this thought that they're developing. You know, they're trying. They're waiting on the SEC. You know, we talked about the ETF at length on this on the pod before. They're waiting for to see the regulatory landscape. What changes are going to occur there first before they start? You know publicizing how much they're holding in crypto and things of that nature. And also we're seeing this involvement because the relatively volatile crypto market is starting to, to even out a little bit. Yes, we're in a bear market 
And yes, we're a far cry from those twenty thousand dollar gains that Bitcoin had in in January or early dis, early January and, and and late December of last year. Um, but like, you know, it's it's kind of like we've kind of hit almost hit the bottom. I'd like to think, but you know, Bitcoin's hovered around between six and seven thousand dollars for the past two months. I mean, when's the last time you, where you could say it was that stable? Um, so you're starting to see the the institutional investors are definitely recognizing the value and the decrease of that volatility and that, you know, with new markets, you always have these crazy swings, but we're starting to kind of see that level out. Yeah, I think uh, part of this um, article as well is this idea that uh, these traditional financial businesses have been accumulating for a while. This is not a recent, like the last three months, you know, because Bitcoin's been down. I'd be shocked if some of the larger corporate entities haven't been buying investigating since two or or otherwise entertaining the idea of owning crypto since 2012 when it started going a little bit mainstream when some of the uh, i wouldn't say um early innovators but early adopters on that bell curve started getting in when it started becoming a little more public when there started being reddit posts about it bitcoin talk started getting uh, some traction as a forum um these are the this is the business they're in they're in the business of money they'll figure out a way to uh, to ensure they're going to make money with it but I definitely think they've been buying since early 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another one of the reasons, too, why, why they're choosing to do this OTC versus on a market is that, you know, large buyers and sellers, that can influence the price. And it does influence the price when it happens on the market. So when it's an OTC transaction, you know, they can fix the price in advance and saying, hey, we're going to, they don't have to worry about the fluctuations that can happen when, when they place that, such orders. Um, on, on traditional yeah i'd exchange. love to see what would happen on coinbase if you tried to place a five million dollar buy order for bitcoin but do you want me to do it again <laughs> yes okay yes. i'll uh, i'll do that uh, Hold on, i just give me 20 minutes let me just liquidate some assets in the caymans real quick we'll take that. <laughs> yeah so i can tell you what would happen you would see pumping like you've never seen pumping before uh on an exchange mm-hmm. i mean it would be astronomical and then you would see the natural other exchanges responding to that um, like logarithmically, it would get smaller the further the exchange was, or the less liquidity they have, and then it would go away like any other you know splash would make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't be enough, but it certainly would be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's good news for the space to see, even though they're doing this behind the scenes. It's good news. I mean, I mean, we don't want it to be completely institutional investors, but but the more you have those people getting those kinds of organizations getting involved. It's just better for for Bitcoin, better for the crypto space because that's just showing the the wider market adoption. So I think this has been some good conversation, but I uh, I think we need to move on to crypto of the week. So um, crypto of the week is our segment where last week we did a random generated a random number and um, selected the coin that corresponded with that number. And last week we picked Populous. So we're going to be doing a coin toss for sides. Um, to discuss the pros and cons of Populous. Populous is a peer-to-peer invoice invoice financing platform for small and medium businesses to increase cash flow. So it's basically payday lending for businesses. Um, Sebi, are you going to flip the coin? Yeah, got that pulled up right here. And uh, it has come up with heads. So Jared, you are going to be on the pro side. Uh, you want to start things off? <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> Did you make it through the whole white paper? You are so enthusiastic. Yeah, before I start, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be rendering a judgment at the end of uh, at the end of arguments. Yeah, I would like to you make welcome. a motion uh, that I be deemed incompetent <laughs> for this proceeding um, because I don't motion denied. Continue. <laughs> I don't have a lot of positive 
I don't have anything positive to say about this project, but I'm going to try. Because crypto, some of this is just about being optimistic about where the technology and the community is going. And look, kudos to these guys for trying. They are claiming that uh, invoice payday loans for invoicing is a $3, million, $3 trillion business. Um, you know, the idea of payday loans and peer-to-peer uh, invoice financing it's a big business, but it's also a little bit of a shady business. The one thing I think this project does have going for it is that um, it does have the ability to shed some light on the transactions. Yeah, yeah. It's it, they they do a better job of where they're getting their data from. So it's all based off of you know all these are companies in the United Kingdom where this yeah. is happening. So it's not really it's not U.S. based. It's not a U.S. based product, yeah. and you know we're not like rendering any opinion as to whether it would be good here speak for um, yourself i've got tons of opinions yeah <laughs> but it, it's it's a it's an interesting way to approach this kind of accounts receivable lending that's that basically means where i do work for this for this guy and my it's a 90-day invoice and he's not going to pay me for he has 90 days to pay me and let's just say it's for 200k well this company is saying hey look we'll pay you 175 for it today but if you need liquid cash in your hand and we'll take the 200 so it's a discounted rate yeah. that they're they're buying it at so so you've got an invoice with somebody that they haven't paid you go sell that invoice and then they get to basically debt collect on that invoice yeah essentially yes so this is a sale, sales and secured it's transaction. a secure transaction so if this was a united UCC. states business it yeah, would be a ucc was, issue if it would be state law it would be ucc and you'd have to go through the whole oh, article 2 securing yeah. attaching you know, per priority and perfecting that yeah. interest. So it, it the, the business model would not exactly adapt to U.S.-based businesses, especially yeah. in, the, in the individuals. Well, U.S. law is uh, is significantly overdeveloped in certain areas. I'll use the word overdeveloped to be cautious, to not talk ill of any of our legislators. Um, but <laughs> Don't UC- make it last week again. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Yeah, the UCC is as complex as it is convoluted and if they were trying to introduce this to the united states they would bankrupt themselves in a week paying for lawyers to try and interpret this mess um and so what but but this still is a pretty decent industry and i think that's my first pro uh, is that this is a massive massive invoice discounting industry it's three trillion dollars that's going to attract a lot of attention in the crypto community if anyone does use this token and starts buying invoices Uh, and trying to get them paid. And I think it's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. uh, The thing about that, you mentioned that this was a UK-based company and they were uh, targeting UK businesses for this. Uh, They do make some uh, claims or assertions, though, that this uh the the people funding uh or buying these invoices can be worldwide and you can do it anonymously um but the fact that it is uh uk based on the selling side uh means that it's it's not a 3 trillion dollar industry um it's going to be significantly less than that uh they have stated that they are going to they have to manually approve each business who wants to sell on this platform so I imagine that's going to be a lengthy and time-consuming process, and also the uh, the the sort of data that they're using to give these companies a, a credit rating is really only uh, required in the UK, the US, and Singapore. So if they were to try and expand beyond the UK. Uh, they'd face some challenges there, have to go through uh, all different kinds of other credit re- reporting agencies to get their data. 
uh, and it won't be just standardized across the platform. So this is fairly centralized, what you're saying, because with the manual approving of each invoice, that's you've right. got a problem. So if this business was based in France, this wouldn't be peer-to-peer. This would be Pierre to Pierre. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, Ooh. I've been waiting for a week to make that joke. Um, yeah, and we want our week back. Bad <laughs> <laughs> <Dead> jokes. <laughs> And, and and also to your point about the the invoice uh, uh, invoice financing industry as a whole, yes, this is a huge industry, and that means there are some really massive established players here. Uh, even startups that were funded or founded less than ten years ago raised like ten times what uh, Populous raised in their ICO. Do you know what that number was? Uh, Populous raised around 10 million, and uh, I saw numbers on a couple startups that were started in the early 2010s that raised over 100 million uh, to even 150, maybe 170 million dollars yeah. wow. through venture funding. So, but I, I, let me let me just delay and distract here for a second because I am <laughs> I am pro. Um, if you can't, what's what's the thing? If you can't, if you can't, them. if you can't um, dazzle them with. Brilliant! You baffle them with bullshit. There you go. <laughs> yep. I uh, so go ahead in with that your vein, bullshit. in yes. that same vein, um, let me dazzle you um, for a moment. There is something about this project that is that I would like to think is intuitively clever. While their execution may be flawed, while they may be geographically limited, while they may have to approve invoices one at a time, and their Pierre-to-Pierre system isn't exactly (laughs) fantastic, what they're trying to do in and of itself is pretty darn good for small – if you've ever run a small business, owned a small business, it sucks when people don't pay you, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, so I mean, good it's truly point. a, a I think a secured transaction in yeah. that you have you are um, using the invoice as collateral to secure the loan, right? Yeah, and that's the reason why you would have so much such a tough time with this adapting to the states is because the reason that they have Article Two in the UCC is such that people who lend the money can go after the collateral and they can get it very easily because they have these documents and, and this perfection or priority or an attachment of the secured interest to the collateral. But they're not just selling the invoice to uh, or borrowing money against the invoice against from one person. They're trying to get the best terms and rates from people on the chain, right? Yeah, yeah so you can bid. They, they hold auctions and uh, by default they last 24 hours. You can have individuals bid on these, uh, and they would be bidding uh, against each other for uh, a better interest rate uh, or a longer term or any any of those factors. And uh, But you can also have uh, individuals collect together as a group and bid on these. And so, yeah, the goal is to get the best terms that are most agreeable to both the buyer and the seller and, uh, and execute that. Uh, the 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 issue with that auction system is that if you're bidding on them, your funds are tied up for the entire length of the auction. So which could be twenty four hours. hours, yeah, or, or less. Yeah, uh, it could be less if uh, the seller decides to accept a bid before that. But even twenty four hours, I know that's not a super yeah. long time, but that's that's. I think they're doing this wrong. I think Populous is doing this wrong by trying to do the invoice selling and stuff like that. They've got this great blockchain. What the thing is, they're actually collecting all this data on businesses. This is valuable, valuable yeah. data. That's probably their better business their, model is yeah. selling the, the data the, they collect. The XBR, yeah, and the way they can manipulate the data yeah. into 
um, you know, various reports and stuff. I think that's what they're underselling themselves on because they, they, they come up, you know, they, they do all these things to analyze the businesses and they come up with the Z score, which the Altman Z score is used to tell whether a business is going to go, um, for lack of a better word, tits up in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a relatively accurate predictor. I mean, we use it here in the States. Um, and they can do this with that data. So they get like, that's how the people are getting the better rates for these invoice loans or for the invoice, um, for selling them. So it's, it makes sense to, to use the data, but I just think they're using it wrong. Yeah. So this, uh, this business intelligence or BI platform that they have is somewhat intertwined with the, uh, the invoice financing. Um, but it's also kind of separate, uh, and, I gotta say, this is just kind of a convoluted mess because they have a separate token token for the BI side yeah, of it. for everything. They, it's a nightmare. Yeah, there's a separate token for collateral and then another token uh, to actually go between the buyers and the sellers. So they, they, they've set up a really convoluted process uh, to have all these things work together. And on the BI side, there's not even really anything that innovative or new that they're bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, they're collecting this XBRL data, which is a standard uh, that was developed, uh, I think, like 20 years ago mm-hmm. and has since been required of all U.S. companies and U.K. companies. So this information is freely available already. The Altman Z-score isn't something new that was developed in the 60s. So they're bringing this data together, but beyond that, they're not really providing any kind of service. If you were an individual who wanted this data about any company, you could go out and get it. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think there's another component to this that's pretty bad as well. And this may be more of a con than anything else, but if you're having to go to the blockchain to finance your invoices, you know, you've got a pretty big yeah. issue. I mean, like I know what they're hoping to do is to try and make this easier, but in, in my mind, the only thing they're creating is a coin for the purpose of creating a coin in hopes of having an idea that can produce the coin where the coin derives its value from existing and nothing else. Um, this could have been done with Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I really don't see yeah. why, why this needed its own separate coin or three or five or however many they have. Cause they also have stable coins pegged to each fiat, uh, a British pound, us dollar, Japanese yen. So considering how relatively new this is as well, I think there is a risk that businesses could come in and, borrow money and and abscond with it uh, right yeah uh, it's so risky they they have their z score for judging the business that is selling the invoice but also on the other side of that there's you don't know anything about the people who were provided the original services to begin with and if yeah. they have the ability to pay back uh, the invoice so there's multiple points in this timeline where you can get screwed uh, as someone uh, financing these companies, and I, I, the blockchain doesn't help with that. Okay. So let me let me just go ahead and file a motion to dismiss. Um, <laughs> I I don't know that I want to be pro much more. Um, I don't I don't have a ton. Look, with with a white paper, you try to make sure that you don't have basic spelling errors and mistakes, yeah. Yeah, errors tense, in logic, verb tense was all. Uh, subject verb disagreements, and you build a product that is actually going to solve a legitimate need. There may have been some need some time ago, but I think there are simpler ways to do this. And this just strikes me as a project that didn't need to be a token. It could have been done on the blockchain, but why does the token exist? Right. Yeah. Um, this was 
I don't want to say it's a cash grab, but I also don't want to say it's not. Um, if if I was asked if I've ever held this coin, I would give a cheeky chinwag of no. Yeah. And I don't plan on doing that in the future either. Okay, is the judge ready to render her decision in this matter? Yeah, you guys ready? Yep. <laughs> Just raspberry. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the raspberry. Yeah, that's it. That's, um, so does, does Ben, um, you seem to be the most likely to get chilled on some. So I only put like four grand in populace. Not a big deal. So you have defaulted on your student loans. That was student I was loan. trying to sell them on the blockchain. And just oh, so no, you borrowed the money from the federal yes. government for student loans, but you use it for this instead. Got Can it. we then buy that loan back from the government and uh, through Populous? I don't know if you'd want to. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to, this, this project seems to me, to, and it, you know, what kills me is that it's in the top 100. It's yeah. in the, it's number 54. Yes. Yeah. It and blows my mind. Yeah, that's, it's kind it, of ridiculous. Look, uh, this could have been some really big industry leaders wanting to try and see if they could make this a billion dollar crypto asset. And so they whipped something together. They, I mean, it, it does appear that they put some effort and some thoughts into it, but not the kind of thoughts or effort that would warrant attracting like serious blockchain and cryptocurrency investors yeah, yeah even the very or people that can read white papers <laughs> even the most yeah basic levels of vetting uh, i think would disqualify this from many many people looking yeah. to invest but they raised 10 million dollars dollars yeah the coin is trading for over three dollars and 61 cents right now some nonsense like that yeah i mean it's it's insane um yeah. but you know what I, I think to to give them a fair shake the stick I wish them the best of luck. I hope it works out. Yeah. And um, I, I'm I'm not going to reach out to the founding team on this coin, if that's cool with you guys, mm-hmm. um, just because I don't know that there's value in us. Oh, after they listen like this. to this, I'm sure they'll reach out to us. Well, yeah. And <laughs> we know that. At Initial Legal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Hit that's, us on Twitter. That's exactly right. Well, I think this is probably the best time for us to segue <laughs> to the next um, to coin the of the next week. Coin yes. of the week. Um, Sevi, let's get, that, soon enough. let's get that random number generator spun up. On our fancy supercomputer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we uh, we have another high one here, Ooh. unfortunately. High roller. Kind of kind of been wanting to to cover a more widely known coin, but we have rolled an eighty-seven, which is a Aurora. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. <laughs> any uh, any chance that you may have that pulled up? I do not, but uh, let me see if I can get that pulled up right here. It sounds sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I am pulling it up right now. Number 87, Aurora. It is trading for two cents. It has looked like it's taken a big old crypto dump in the market the last couple of weeks. Oh, Jesus. The the tagline on their homepage is creating a bright and colorful blockchain world. <laughs> you are 100%. Lorbet, did you know this is going to happen? <laughs> No, I'm just a, a savant when it comes to stuff that glitters. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, this appears to be uh, a crypto application. What the heck is this? Can we please lightning, just pick a new one? Lightning Jesus. fast contracts to link industries such as gaming, big data, artificial intelligence, and Internet of Things. To be yeah. discussed in further. Yeah, I think we've committed to this yep. as our right. as our mechanism. <laughs> Look, I, I have a little bit. They, they've got a better graphic on this site than the others have had. I've got high it's hopes. Icelandic. And you know the Icelandic individuals drink more Coca-Cola per capita than any other country in the world. So they've got to be okay. Oh, look at our boy. 
Look at our boy Christopher Mori rocking the mohawk on the uh, on the, the founders team, page team page about. there. Finally, somebody who gets who gets crypto. gets the community. Gets yeah. Okay. Uh, where is the team page? You gotta scroll down. Yeah. This one-page websites are, uh, oh man, he's wearing a suit and tie with a mohawk. We need him. Based in the U.S. of A. Oh, and there's a guy based in Nigeria. So this project is, is international. Prince? I'm good friends with the Prince. His name is not Prince. Um, <laughs> so actually, it looks to be a pretty widely dispersed project, um, and I'm looking forward to talking about it next week. Yeah, um, join us next week for that one. Let's make sure we read, read the white paper, and hopefully it's worth reading. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, with that being said, we have to move on to the next section, and then we're going to be wrapping the show up. So What's next? we're transitioning here. Last last week would be the last of my crazy crypto predictions for the week. Um, felt like <laughs> it's probably not a good idea to sit up here and just say these coins are going to double at the end of every month. Yep. Um, so what we're transitioning to now is Ben's subtle wink of the week. This is just a... <laughs> <laughs> was that a pin click? Wait, wait. <laughs> What we're going to talk about this week is um, trying to do your taxes a little bit with the um, with the exchanges. That's our public service announcements yes. for, for the show. So quick disclaimer here, guys, not to be construed as legal or financial advice, <laughs> as you're better off getting your advice from a yoke of oxen. At least their advice has some pull. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? The best one you've done so far, hands down, Boom. hands down. So what's the uh, what's the subtle? Uh, of the week. <laughs> so the scoop here on the exchanges is that they're bad at giving you reports on, on what you've been doing. Um, Preach. If you're like me, you know, you like to move coins around, you buy them somewhere, you move them around a little bit, you don't really know what you did with them. So you've got withdrawals, <laughs> deposits. Hopefully IRS you know is going to be giving you a call Hopefully here. you know what you're doing with them. It's just maybe you're a bad trader. Hypothetically speaking, you don't know what you had did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How can you know if you did anything wrong if you don't know what you did? Exactly. Hypothetically. So, so um, exchanges are bad at what? So you basically got three things going on here. You've got your deposits of accounts, you've got your withdrawals, and you've also got your transaction history. Um, so the, the thing is with the exchanges is that the reports aren't standardized and most of the time you can only pull those reports every, once every 90 days for 90 day periods, for 90 day periods, excuse me. Um, Coinbase, you can go a little bit further back than that. Um, but but Coinbase is, Coinbase has its own problems. There's, there's, there's a lot of issues with that as well. So when, when this, you know, when you pull it out because the IRS has said that they recognize cryptocurrency as a property, you know, and you have to, once you realize any gain on that, on that property that you have to, you have to report it. That's yeah. income. Calculated for determining taxes. Yeah. Same, yeah. you know, your tax cost basis. Would it be fair to say that Ben's subtle wink of the week is that exchanges are really crap at reporting, so do a better job? Yeah. This is the wink uh, to the exchanges. From your friendly neighborhood tax attorney. Um, <laughs> they also got these things called Excel spreadsheets or uh, Google sheets where you can, um, do this yourself on top of pulling your histories. Yeah. Um, which ugh, God, would make life so much easier. If people would <laughs> Please, yeah. Since your boots it. on the ground, your transaction, a lot of these. just leave it open whenever yeah. you're, you know, moving stuff around, leave mm -hmm. your sheet open and log it right then. Yeah. And, um, and then when it's tax time, it's done. So I, I think that uh, we ran into this problem here recently. Um, looking, we made a list of exchanges. We went through the exchanges uh, where uh, our team, uh, not just the people on the show, but people off the show as well, uh, opened up all the different exchanges they've ever done business with, whether they've made a deposit withdrawal or any transaction histories. 
Some of the exchanges will only let you download a report for any 90-day period from when you opened your account onward. Um, they won't let you just download all your withdrawals from, from the exchange. So you have to download six to, you know, if, if it's for a year, you have to download, you know, four different Excel spreadsheets and then combine them into one and then send that to your CPA or tax attorney. Deposits are another, you have to uh, get three separate sheets. And some of them are so complicated and so difficult to get um, that it's just, it's convoluted. Not to mention the reports that are so confusing and have so many columns that just don't make any sense that list things like true and false or, you know, like Coinbase. If you've ever printed out a Coinbase report and you spent more than a minute looking at it, you're genuinely confused. And if you're not, you may be a savant. You may be a tax savant. Um, but <laughs> you have to go back and like, and then you can't just look at the deposits and withdrawals separately, yep. right? You yeah. have to, you have to make something to manually, uh, make those transactions flow together yep. chronologically. Yep. So this is, uh, this is why it's important to calculate that with, uh, withdrawal deposits, yep. excuse me, that with that withdrawal into or out of an exchange, those deposits into an exchange and what happens on the exchange. Uh, those three components are critical, and it's. I think it's going to be important that we recommend people do this regularly, pull out those reports, do a little bit of work throughout the year so that when it comes, tax, comes to tax time, um, that you get this done. Most people aren't aware that October 15th is the, uh, the deadline for personal taxes for 2017. We have a lot of people. If you've got an extension. Yeah, if you've got okay. an extension. Um, you've, you've got a lot of people frantically downloading this these reports and sometimes the reports coming from these exchanges are erroneous or have no content on them and then you have to email customer service and there's one thing that that exchanges are great at yeah. is customer <laughs> I mean, service who wants to have to disclose their satan coin holdings on their irs yeah <laughs> that is very true i i would hate to meet someone who has that problem <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> I think that just about wraps us up for this week, guys. Look, uh, we, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Initial Legal. See you next week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. See you all next time.